All right. Well, welcome to This is 50. On the show today, I am welcoming Dr. Luann Brisendine. Welcome, Dr. Luann. Thanks for having me, Lynette. I'm so delighted to be here and talk to you about my new book, The Upgrade. I can't wait. You know, we met through a mutual colleague and I'm glad we did because as I get to know your work in the area of midlife women, you definitely have a message worth sharing. So first of all, Dr. Glenn, please just share a little bit of a background so that my audience can understand who you are. Um, you're a best-selling author, so I'm just going to hand the floor over to you. Okay, so um, I'll be brief. No, go for it. <laughs> uh, longer. Okay, um, let's see. I started off during my career in, in being fascinated with hormones and behavior and in neuroscience. So I started off as an undergraduate at UC Berkeley and actually I ended up with two years in architecture school. And then I decided that I really wanted to know more about the architecture of the brain and hormones and behavior. So I went into neurobiology and neuroscience um, and decided to go to medical school at Yale so that I could go and um, look, look at a whole different aspect of working with real people, not just with lab rats in the, in the lab, you know? <laughs> so I wanted to work with real people. And um, it was at Yale Medical School in my third year of residency where I was doing my rotation on the psychiatry unit, where there's lots of women who had depression and anxiety, et cetera. And I started to do a lot of the reading, like, cause to me, all of a sudden I realized all the literature says, okay, it's a two to one ratio in depression in women over men. And somehow that felt like, it felt so wrong to me. <laughs> like, this is not what we need, but. Yeah. And so I did a deep dive into looking at that. Nobody was really talking about the why. I wanted to know the why. And of course, in childhood, it's a one-to-one -one ratio. And it's not until you hit about 12, 13, 14 in girls where it's the, the rate starts to go double that wow. of teen boys. Of course, what happens at age 12, 13? The menstrual cycles or the right. hormones come on. So I'm thinking like, duh, but it's mostly men in the field at that point. There weren't that, you know, there weren't that many women in medical school. It was, it was mostly guys, whatever. I mean, they care about this, but not as much as we do, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, I got, they doubled down on the hormone behavior and mood stuff in women and went off to um, Harvard to do my residency and my first faculty job there, which was um, interesting because I, I didn't get to do that much of the research in the hormones and mood that I got to do later when I came out to UCSF in San Francisco, where I um, founded a clinic, the first one of its kind called the Women's Mood and Hormone Clinic. Right. In the Department of Psychiatry, because I wanted to have a place where women could come and get all of their mood, their anxiety, their their sleep, their, all of their behavioral things looked at as it matched up with their menstrual cycle or with their hormones in pregnancy or postpartum or in the, the transition into the other side of the, yes. the downside after your period stops <laughs> into what I, what I call the transition and then the upgrade. But it's traditionally called, you know, the perimenopause and menopause. So that's the that's the story of how I got to where I am now. And the female brain book I wrote came out of uh, all of that early work that I did in my clinic. Correct. And you also have written the male brain as well. And then they, they talked me, I felt, you know, whatever, the, the, the publishing house says, oh, well, would you do the male brain? I thought like, well, you know, it's hard, you know, I, I was trying to write, you know, authentically. So I did have a teen son at that at that time. So mm -hmm. I had a teenage son. So I was watching that. I had a husband. But so I decided that I, I thought it would be like turning a sweater inside out, Lynette, actually. Right. 
Uh, au contraire, it was not like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that so. <laughs> it was not like that at all. And if anybody really wants to know, the, the crux of the, the male brain is in chapter two of the male brain, which is called the team male brain, about how the whole system gets formed with that like 250 times the testosterone that you had at age 10, you have this huge wow. amount for the rest of your life. So anyway, we, in my clinic, we used to say, oh, PMS in women, it lasts for a couple of days. Um, unlike men have PMS all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got the female brain, the male brain, and now the upgrade. And so it is the upgrade, how the female brain gets stronger and better in midlife and beyond. I love I'll show you the pretty cover. They did yes. a pretty, look at how pretty it is. It wasn't pink. They didn't do it pink. Thank they God. Thank God. Thank God. They didn't do it pink. They did yeah. it in turquoise. <laughs> I finally got, well, I don't know. Anyway. So the, anyway, I hope women like it. And it has to do, it came out of like the years and years of clinic work with women going through from about age, late thirties, but usually make, like starting about age 42 and above. And um, the book takes people all up into their early 80s, early 90s. So I, I cover the, like, what I call, it's like the best half of life, which is yeah. not how we women were taught. We're not, the culture doesn't say that. But uh, it's a lie because, you know, we know from research that each decade of our life, Lynette, each decade we get happier and happier. And I can attest to that. And, you know, I I read the book. Um, I've sped read the book because we we got introduced. You know, the way I could get you in my calendar was right away. And so, like, you your your calendar was, is busy. And so I thought, okay, so sped read it. And it is so relatable. And we were just talking about how I can't wait for it to come on Audible because it is truly a story. It's packed with research and science, but it's told in a way that is so relatable and you can find yourself in the story. And that's what I love about it. So during this interview, Dr. Luann, I would love to dig into a little bit about who you are and weave some of the story as well, because you also are a woman that has gone through the transition and now is in the upgrade. And, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to, <laughs> yeah. by the hear... way, the audible, the audible came out this week. So anybody who wants okay, to talk perfect. Audible, they can have it, they can have it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so the, the, the thing is, is like, I want to know, how did you overcome some of the things, the challenges that you know very well that we all are going through in our midlife? So let's dig in. So the first question that you ask actually of the readers is what do you want your life to look at now to, to look like now? So you then go on to prompt the reader to be real with themselves. Is it really one long beach vacation or a series of art classes? Is it a new load of caretaking of aging parents, spouse, or grandchildren? Is it being saddled with the family home, which now sort of kind of feels like an albatross? Or is it a new career, a new adventure, a sense of delight that comes from having a beginner's mindset? So tell me a little bit more about this. Is it just that we don't believe we can achieve great things in our 50s and beyond? What what prevents us from or getting to that? Or is it a new career, a new adventure, a sense of delight that comes from a beginner's mindset? You know, I think that what the question that, that I like to ask is like, okay, who will we be? Okay, who will we be? And what a, what what an honor and a blessing to have the chance to to be able to say that at this stage of our lives. So Absolutely. I think isn't it just amazing? I think it's incredible. So you know, we are asked as children who we want to be when we grow up, right? And, you know, those responses are shaped by a lot of things. And, you know, we've lived lives that we wanted to live, but also the lives that we were supposed to manifest during that whole time. For example, 
um, for many of it's been marriage or marriages or children or no children, no children or, you know, single momhood for time and not. I mean, I was in the single mom category for a lot of years and, um, you know, careers outside of the of work and and then the home so we're kind of like so much of it got well it was, for me it was like a, a, an incredible blur until i got to the upgrade so it's just like it's i think it's such a delight and so now i think what we need to do is we need lynette to ask ourselves at this time who do we want to be who do you want to be today oh i love I that even, i even i even wrote a sticky on my I, I got, okay it's like who do i want to be an hour from now who do I want to be a day from now? It helps it bring it really home, you know, because it's like, it's, it's like, who do I want to be in the second half of my life? It feels too big. So I think like, okay, you know, what, you know, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be an hour from now? Who do I want to be next week or next month? You know, so it's, I think it's a wonderful time to get to ask that. Cause it's like, you know, in, in our transition and beyond, we're able to really, we're able to do that. So it's a blessing. And so, you know, I think, um, I like to call it the fullness of our age. Who do we want to be in the fullness of our age? Because, you know, some people will say like, oh, I want to pick up with the girl I left behind at 11, the things we gave up. What? Yeah. Well, the, some of those things will be things we want to pick back up. Right. You know, for me, I kind of picked back up some art and I picked up things that I, you know, had, had left behind. But on the other hand, we, I didn't, we have the fullness of our age and we have the fullness of wisdom. And I think women, I want to get to this issue of like, the self-doubt we have as women is enormous at this stage mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. it's, it's enormous all the way along the way for, for most women and maybe not for everybody, for 80% of us, maybe that's the true. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was certainly true. Uh, I certainly had self-doubt all along the way, but, and especially now because, you know, you've been going on a longer track, maybe let's say raising children, get, getting them out of the house, doing whatever, you know, the things we've been doing. And now there's an opportunity to think carefully about, about who we want to be at the next stage. I love this. And, you know, I, I feel like women who are in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, and even beyond, we lived a very stereotypical life. You know, we the idea was to finish high school, possibly go to university, uh, get married, have kids, career, buy the house, buy get the cars, the, the dog, the, you know, the whole thing. And then I realized, but hold on a second, that's not really the life that I wanted. And, you know, it's funny because even my daughter said to me the other day, mom, it feels like you're reliving your, you know, your 30s, 40s. And I thought, damn right I am. I'm like, I, I lived, I, I stepped into a very stereotypical life back in my early 20s, early 20s. And now I feel like I've missed a lot. And, and some people might coin that as a bit of a midlife crisis, but I absolutely have embraced my 50s as something that I am going to go after, what I truly want in my life. So you talk about the three, in your book, you talk about three stages of the upgrade. So let's take a step back and let's talk about those, those three stages. So um, I take a different tack on this, you know, than, than a lot, you know, and I explain it. And I don't know, do you, do you feel, Lynette, do, you, do you feel comfortable now that you read the book? Do you feel comfortable? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm a big proponent of this book. Like, I love it. I loved everything about it. And, and I don't just say that, like, I really am super excited about the book. So you feel comfortable with the word upgrade and absolutely in, in your own life and transition. It, and it's step. exactly yeah. where I'm at. I'm upgrading my life 
For sure. Because you see, the word perimenopause is a medical term, right? It's a medical term. And the word menopause is a medical term. It doesn't embrace the entire of, entirety of you and what you're going through, you know, what, you know, exactly. the, the, the dimensionality that we have. So let's take, I'm going to take women through, give them a little, give them a little bird's eye view of what they get to look forward to when, when they read the book. And so I talk about the, the four phases of the transition. Okay. So there's four phases of the transition, usually starting the pre-transition can start in your late thirties and early forties, right? That's as those egg follicles sort of start to decrease in your ovary. You may occasionally skip a period or have a shorter period, but then you hit the second phase, which is called early transition, which is where all those in your early forties, kind of the egg, the eggs are going down in number. And so it's just not making as much estrogen. You're not having as big of a, uh, you're having those sometimes skip periods once in a while or having a shorter period again. And that can be more and more. And as a matter of fact, you know, you might be, you might notice a bit more anxiety, you know, before your period during that time, you might find a bit more trouble kind of cooling off after a workout or a bit more like heat and sweating, you know, and not not cooling down or at night, you might find a lot of sleep disruption and um, flow, throwing the covers off, that kind of stuff. And that's kind of typical of early transition. And you don't think much about it. I know when I first was getting it, I'd be on this, I'd be on the elliptical or where it was, you know, and I get off and I would be like thinking like, well, I'm, I did get my heart rate up and whatever, but like, I'm, I'm hot as, I'm still hot as hell. You know, I just like, what? I just wanted to jump in a cold shower because usually, you know, I, I guess I, you know, I was so used to cooling down quicker. So you just don't cool down. So that's some, that's one way that you know it because the changes in the estrogen level, that's what sets your temp, your thermostat in your brain. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a little bit, because as the thermostat okay. in your brain changes, that's why you start to get hot and do hot sweats and hot flashes, that kind of thing. But then when you get into that, like um, that mid transition, okay, the mid transition is kind of maybe like early to late forties. So you're like right in the thick of it, man. And you, you know, you may have like two short cycles a year and that's like, you know, let's say you had a usual 28 day cycle and that it might go down to like, 26, 7, 25, you know, just may start to shorten a bit. We used to measure hormones like FSH. Like we used to measure a lot of hormones to see where people were, but actually the thing we missed it often because the hormones like that change like every hour on the hour. So if you, wow. get, if you get it the wrong time of day or you may, you just can miss it. So what we do is we, we listen to the women's. So keep a, keep track yourself. Just keep a little, little, whatever little scratch pad you do or whatever, just keep a little track of it. Cause that'll, that'll help you know where you are in the transition. You can get a little, okay. you're, you're, that's actually a really interesting point. I just stop for the, so that's something I never really thought about, but you're right. Just as you're starting to feel these different changes and just, you just know that, cause you, you probably are wondering where am I in this change of life kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, for me, it was, Oh God, I can't run on the, like you, you talked about the treadmill. I, I, I remember thinking, Oh, what's happening with my cardio? Like it's totally gone down the hill. I don't, I don't. And so maybe that's actually really good advice to just track some of those things and, can talk to your doctor about it. That's great. Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt no, no, you there. No, 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 because it's so it's so important to, these little things yeah. to kind of underline them because the, the the point is is like you can notice yourself stuff that a blood mm -hmm. test will not catch. 
because the blood Correct. test is just like one little snapshot in one little hour and you either caught it like too high too low sometimes. So they've actually stopped using them. I think they're a waste of time and money. And so they're not really oh, using them very much. There's, there's a new one. They're trying to find one that works better, but they, they haven't gotten it down yet. So this, right. is the, this is the most accurate. Your own body signals. These are your own body signals you can listen to. So I just wanted to let women know that they can kind of figure it out a little bit themselves. So you might get the bleeding that gets a little heavier. I don't know if you had that bleeding, like, oh, sometimes the bleeding, like, sometimes you'll get this huge amount of bleeding. And I talk about that a lot in chapters like three and four, so that mm -hmm. women can kind of like relate to that. And there's all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of thinking and approaches to that. But when it's happening, it can be pretty scary. Sometimes you go through three or four super tampons before noontime even, and you never wear white pants. I mean, you don't want the white leather seats in your car, whatever. You just, you gotta be, it's like that, those years that you're really, really careful. And so, you know, you can, and you can have breakthrough in the bleeding in the middle of the month. Often that's all because you're, you're actually not really ovulating at all. You, you think you might be, but you're not ovulating. And if you don't ovulate, you don't have progesterone, which then will make you just bleed heavier, right? Because mm -hmm. the doctors, what they what that we do is we put women with heavy bleeding on progesterone. Okay. And sometimes that's in the form of the pill during this mid-transition time. It can be in the form of an IUD with progesterone in it. A lot of people have the progesterone or with the implant, the progesterone implant. Because, you know, a lot of women, they, a lot of women don't at 44, 45, don't want to have the chance of having an oops, oops pregnancy. You know, that's not right. what most people no. want, no, yeah, matter, no. no matter who right. you are. You're, well, yeah. you know, uh, if you're trying to get pregnant and you're taking those fertility hormones, maybe yes, but that most women are, are, are whatever, it's not not what they want at that time usually. So those two or three short cycles a year, you're not, you may have extra heavy bleeding. You may have light bleeding you may be skipping periods. So that's all that middle transition. You may get that sleep disruption with like these warm flushes in the middle of the night. And there's a lot of partner, there's a lot of partner, like I, I like from my husband and I, we just like, my husband like pulls the covers. He's one of those people who kicks in the middle of the night. He's kind of got the restless leg thing going on. So we decided to get two extra long, side-by-side -side adjustable uh, Tempur-Pedic beds, you know? And so Perfect, we had our yeah. own covers, we had our own covers, we had whatever, you know? So that was like, <laughs> I was like, well, that was, that was, that was more controversial for him than me. I mean, like, I thought like, I need to sleep. It's like, I don't need your like jerking the covers or co whatever, you know how that goes. It's, anyway, yeah. it's the negotiation of the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that goes on for a lot of us, the bed negotiation. So, you know, about 80%, so about 80% of women will, will, um, have the, the stopping of their periods between 45 and 55. That's kind of the big chunk of it. But about 8% will have it stopping of your period before 45. Right. So it's important to know that like if you're early, you're early, that about 8%, 7 or 8% will have it late after 55. So there's those two, if you're on the tails on either side, don't worry about it. It's completely normal, but you just, you know, it's like you're not. And I know both. I, I know women of both. Yeah, yeah for sure. exactly. I know yeah. one of my girlfriends didn't have, didn't go through her. So like, I think finally her final period at 58, she was about ready to yeah. pull her hair out. She goes, Oh, please get me out of here. Get me out of here. <laughs> Enough. Anyway. So about, and about 1% of women, one to 2% will have it before 40. So that can be way before a woman's ready, you know, if you're still trying to have kids and stuff. So that's a whole nother. Okay. Late, the late transition, that fourth stage of the, the transition time can be in your late forties to early fifties. And that's when most women have the most symptoms, right? They're, they're sweating the bed. You can't sleep at night. You're having these short cycles. Sometimes you'll skip a cycle. You may go three months and not have a period at all. And then all of a sudden it comes back again. And it is so, cause remember 
the, the definition of a, the, the, there's only one day that you have something that's medically called the me medically called menopause. You have one day and that is the day 12 months after your last period, it's called menopause. And that's on one day. And then the next day, right. immediately on the day after that, you're called post-menopause. So post-menopause. Boom, you're done. So these are, that's why they're- but that isn't already confusing enough as yeah, it is. So that's, how, that's why they're all medical terms. And I decided, so, okay. So we've got ourselves, and there are lab tests that they have. The, they have a new lab test called the AMH. And they have a lot of little lab tests that are trying to help women predict their last period. Because sometimes people want to know, because a lot of people are uh, maybe on the birth control pill to regulate their cycles and they want to switch over to hormone therapy or they, you know, they want to know when they're going to taper off and taper on something else, which is a, you know, that's a whole, that, that's a whole nother topic we can talk about some more. Yeah. Of that. I talk and about we that. Will. I talk about yeah, yeah. chapter, yeah. chapter four. I talk a lot about that. So women who want to go yeah. dive deep on it, they Perfect. can figure it out. Okay. I will. So now we're into the Yahoo, the three stages of the upgrade, right? So of course right. the, the first stage of the upgrade happens in the, for a lot of women in their, either their late thirties to their mid fifties, right? So that's kind of after you've gotten okay. through all the other transition phase and you've had no bleeding for 12 months. And after, and the hot flashes continue for a lot of women during that period, mm -hmm. they may get worse because remember that little area in the brain and a little hypothalamus, a little area that controls temperature. The, the thing to know is if, you are in a, any other time in your life before you started this, if you were in a room and the temperature changed higher by 10 degrees, you yeah. might feel hot, right? And everybody mm -hmm. else would feel hot too. During the transition or into the early upgrade, if the temperature changed one degree in the room, almost nobody else would feel hot, but you would start <laughs> sweating like a pig, you know, or, and then you get the chills, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And I know. It's, it's, it's many ruined blouses, many ruined blouses. I know the, the fans <laughs> and the whatever. It's just like, oh man. So of course there's, there's, you know, a lot of women, it's like, it, that's not an acceptable way to live. If you have it really badly, that's when we, that's when we put a lot of women on, you know, some hormone therapy to get you through that. There's lots of other things that we can use for it too. But the, the, the one that works the best is taking estrogen. Estrogen will stop, yeah. will stop those suckers in their tracks within a couple of weeks, right. weeks. So that's good to know. Yeah. Or even a couple of days sometimes. So it's, right. a, it's, it's women are like grateful to have that for a few years. Um, and we don't worry so much about all the, the other problems with it that we used to worry. Cause that's, that's kind of, um, we've gone through all of that. Okay. Now the early upgrade kind of lasts, you know, into your maybe mid thirties, mid late forties to mid fifties. Then that middle upgrade is what you're kind of stabilized into this kind of what I call kind of a smoother reality. You're either on hormone therapy or not, whichever that is for you. You get you get really smoothed out. Your your body is finished with kind of the the um, that the, the cycle, that hormone cycle where you're building up to the high estrogen right before ovulation, and then you're ovulating and progesterone, and then you're crashing down in the PMS time. You know the those few days of the PM the PMS time that we all used to have. Sometimes women have that during the entire transition phase. You know that. That that's typifies the transition, or sometimes that what they call the perimenopause. That women can have PMS and irritability. I'm afraid for me, I had irritability a lot, all the time during that the tra oh, I know. the mid transition. The mid transition for me and the late transition was like, um, you know, I was a B. You know what? A lot. I just was so <laughs> irritable. <laughs> 
it was. It but, was but, a- but you talk later in the book about embracing that, those moods, those things. So let's get, let's finish the three stages and let's yeah. dig into okay. like hormone therapy and yeah. yeah. Perfect. So then the full upgrade happens in your mid fifties and beyond. So you kind of, yeah. you kind of embody the fullness of your life then. And you're yeah. kind of, that's when I'm talking about finding new purpose and speaking your truth and, you know, finding, I mean, finding the authenticity, standing, I call it standing in the center spotlight stage and center stage of your authenticity, right in that circle of authenticity. I love this. Yes. Do you know, it's like, it feels like, like that's, that's where I want to be. If I put that list of keys, like, where do I want to be an hour from now? Where do I want to, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? You know, two weeks from now, I want to be as much as possible standing in the authenticity of, of, of who I, who I really am and who I want to be, who my best self, my best self. Right. So if we could summarize the three stages of the upgrade, it's the the multiple stages of transition. So that's the first stage where you're really sort of getting into all of those crazy things, trying to figure out, trying to understand it all. Then you're starting to think, okay, well, now I'm going to normalize this, whether it's through HRT or just being able to self-control or whatever, you know, finding other little tricks and, and tips to manage all of the, the mood swings, the hot flashes, the sweats, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, when you kind of come through it, you may still have some of those mid-upgrade mid uh, symptoms, but yet now you're starting to really embrace it and you're starting to think to yourself, okay, I've got this. I am a woman uh, that has, is powerful. And in your book, you talk a lot about these sort of different um, things that you can do to uh, you know, grab hold of what before we used to not have, and I'm just trying to go to my notes here because I had I had it later down uh, as one of my questions, but you talk about sort of focus and embracing that sort of uh, power to say anything, directness, you know, talk about, give me, give me two or three things that you've, you've felt come from, you know, being in the upgrade. So, you know, one of the things that happens it's like, you know, you stopped having the changes of your brain circuits all every single month with a fertility cycle. That's like, that's died down. And, what, and that allows you to get this incredible stability and to be able to count on your mood, whatever you're really got. So from that place of stability comes this kind of, you know, this validation, you know, validation from within, which is just like, uh, you know, but it, it kind of comes from the very, very first, you can become very, I don't know, you find this for yourself, Lena, but you become you can become direct in a way you you weren't in a in a, in a younger stage of your life. The directness, the massive decrease in estrogen waves that the brain handles differently now, anger and disappointment. You know, the younger female brain will kind of put that impulse to stand up for ourselves, you know, and try to sort of impose silence on ourselves, like to, we're people pleasers, right? We want to, we don't want to cause any waves. We just keep our, we learn to keep our mouths shut, but you know, so this new force of this impulse to speak our truth, I describe it like, it's like all of a sudden it's like driving a Maserati for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it takes a little while to get used to the power you know, but, but once you do, you'll, you'll see the world it doesn't end. It doesn't end. You don't break your relationships. And, you, you know, we kind of shake up the status quo and redefine the rules of our relationship. I know for me, um, I, I have a little phrase that I like a lot that fits into this category, which is like, I, I, I aim to learn to say what I mean, but don't say it mean. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, in your book, you talk a lot about, you know, 
creating a new language. And that, I love that. So you, you talk about perimetopausal, perimetopause, and menopause as being doc, like technical or scientific terms that were actually created by men, right? And so what you, the whole, the whole sort of really purpose of the upgrade is that we, the readers, need to embrace this new language that you're providing to us. So this new language is, as you were just talking about, directness, focus, validation from within, freedom, and that shit just gets better, like self-care, confidence, inner strength, agency, and effectiveness. And that's what you were just talking about there, where, you know, you can you can say what you mean now, but you just don't have to say it meanly kind of thing in a mean way. And, you know, I, I, I love all of that. And, and I want to really sort of drill down on the agency piece of it. So many of the women that have gone through my program on Core Life Academy, num the number one thing that prevents them from really truly going after what they want, not taking care of, you know, not staying in the big house, like really going after their dreams is they've lost their confidence. And I think when you talked, when you, when you wrote about agency, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper because you, how much power we really have to shape the second half of our life comes through this embracing agency. So I'm going to hand that back over to you because I want you to talk about it, not me. Um, but, but yeah, like give, give the audience, what is that? Because you're, you're just in one breath, we're saying, you know, we're, you know, we're now in, at this stage of the upgrade where we, we should be so confident and in our abilities and all of our knowledge and everything that we've gone through over the years, but yet we're holding this lack of confidence and yeah, just why, why? So I think, you know, okay. Part you know, part of this is, is the human condition, right? We need to have a sense of fear in order to survive. So as you're talking about this issue, you know, the issue of confidence and lack of self-confidence and fear, fear is really, fear is at the bottom of all of this. Fear is, you know, when we are having a lack of self-confidence, if we really stop and pause and look at what's going on, we are, we are scared shitless about something. We are in a state of fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fear may be quite delusional. The fear may not be the fear. So we have to learn to be this. We have enough wisdom, enough stability, enough uh, people to check in with. Um, but our brains can get kind of delusional. We can spin out a whole story. Oh, yeah. The stories we create in our head. I oh, get it. Oh, I get the it. stories. Yeah. That we, we, mm -hmm. we, we make mm -hmm. stories up about why we couldn't or what we might lose, what we might lose if we do this path or that path. or And we get frightened about it's like clinging to something because we're, we're, we're afraid that either we won't be able to make it or what if we lose a lot of money or what if we, you know, and it's like, it's usually kind of losing some sort of, as we, losing the sense of like security that we think we've built around ourselves at this stage of life. You know, we've, we've, we've tried to be, you know, we had to have a lot of security to, to, you know, try to launch kids from the nest. And there, that was a whole different thing, right? About mm -hmm. keeping everything secure, keeping the kids, I mean, okay. The female brain, we females that are alive today are the great, 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 great granddaughters of those 
women who are the most successful at keeping helpless infants alive. Right. Your wiring is about that in the whole first half of your life. And of course, in 1900, the average age of death was 49 for women. Right. So we're talking. So they never got the chance for the upgrade. So we really are breaking new ground and new territory. This is like, and that's why there's no psychology books written for the developmental stages of women after the age of 40, Mm. after the age of 49. Can you believe that? There's no names. There's no names for them. There's not much discussion of them. It's just, it's, you know, so, you know, we, so that's, so, okay. Going back to the fear state. Of course, all of that fear, you know, we, we are wired. I mean, men, of course, are too, but in a different way. We female brains are wired to look out for danger and for, to be fearful. So all of a sudden, we come to this stage of our life where we may have a certain amount of security, right? The kids are away, whatever. And you're looking at saying like, well, who do I want to be now? You think like, well, why don't I just sit back and, you know, uh, enjoy my security, <laughs> and enjoy my stability. Well, you know, that, there's nothing wrong with that either. But I think that what happens is after a few years of doing that, you start thinking like, well, you know, I have some talents in this area. I really enjoy doing that. Or I really want to be doing more of that. So those, those ideas start to pop up in your mind. So this book is all about, you know, how to get your butt off the couch <laughs> and stay mm-hmm. engaged with life until the very end I mean, it doesn't mean you have to push yourself to like being like so hysterically overworked and busy as you were when you're younger. That's not the point. But the point is also how to handle your fear, because from that from that cauldron of fear that we get into and some of that fear, that fear is natural, but it's also very delusional because often we're feeling fearful and we, we really don't need to be. We need to talk it out with somebody else and get ourselves out of that fear state because that will attack what you're talking about agency and talk about and and uncertainty and self-doubt. We often, we need Mm -hmm. to learn to do a different type of self-talk. Well, what happens though, Dr. Luan, when like, okay, for me personally, when my duties as a full-time single mom, like literally I raise my kids both financially, everything a hundred percent of the time for 18 years. When that commit, when that job really came to an end as a full-time mom, I sort of felt a sense of exhaustion to be completely honest. (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) I mean, I was super excited about the idea of focusing on myself, but I, and you know, and that's probably because I was single and, you know, and I was like, okay, because I know I put quite a few things on the back burner, including finding and being in a long-term relationship because I just felt I didn't have it, it. I didn't have it in me to be hustling in my career and to be hustling, taking care of two kids, mom duties. Like I was a mom hustler for 18 years. So what I was excited about was the idea of focusing on myself. But I wondered if I really had it in me. Like I mean, to be completely honest, I was freaking exhausted, and I thought, oh my god, do I have it in me? to actually go after what I want. And so I'd be curious to understand, like, what are your thoughts when it comes to wanting to really embracing the upgrade 
but struggling with the energy to to do it. You know what most women want to do when they're kind of at this transition phase and kind of going into the early upgrade and stuff and the kids are, they've done the raising of the kids, the kids are off doing whatever they're doing. You know, it's not like they're, we'll talk about being a parent of adult children later. That That's a whole nother category of like, oh my God, like <laughs> how many mistakes can we make? But anyway. <laughs> yeah. And guilt and all the guilt that comes with it, the mom guilt. Oh, I wish I would have. I should have. I should have. I know. But yeah. I know. But so, the, yeah. the, so, so we have to honor the fact most women, when you, when you ask them, what they would like more time to do, they would like more time. They would like more time to exercise and do things that are like self-care. Women in this day, like they're one of the, the top priorities. I want to, to eat healthier and do more self-care. That is what they want. So it's exactly, Lynette, what you're talking about. You have to first do what I call, my sister and I text each other whenever we're having troubles on a day. We have a little thing called RSC. RSC stands for Radical Self-Care. Wow, I love so it. So when we're having a hard day or whatever, we'll just like, so I'll, I'll, she'll, whatever she'll say, whatever, whatever, and I'll just text her back RSC or she'll text me back RSC. We know it's radical self-care. So whatever it is on that day that you have to do to do radical self-care, I don't care what it is. It's like, you know, if that's like going out for, for whatever, going out for a massage, whatever that means, just do it because you have to first be taking care of your body. Your bo- you know, we make a mistake to think that the body and mind are separate. They are not. The body and mind all work together. The embodiment of your mind and your mind is running your body. I mean, there it's like you can't have one without the other, Lynette. So it is really right. important to honor. If you're getting signals from your body that you need to be doing something or you are exhausted and you just gonna, you're just going to need a couple months of doing radical self-care, I mean, that, that is totally what I hear from women. And I, I say, go for it. That's what you need for the next few months. Just go for this and don't all this kind of, you know, is this peer pressure that we, this is, I guess. um, So I don't mean to say that anybody that doesn't want to go out and save the world, you know, or, or, or or save the children or save the, whatever, you know, do whatever, whatever, everybody is different and you'll find it at different times. Something that, something that won't, Something at age 50 or 55 that um, would really appeal to one woman and not another. At 65, that may be what she wants to do. Or at 60, that may be. So I think just having an open mind, an open mind for finding your path and no shoulds, no more shoulds. I mean, like radical self-care, no more shoulds. You know, I love that. And in the uh, chapter uh, Return of Purpose, which is in uh, the upgrade. I, I can't remember what chapter number it is, but we talk a lot about purpose. I mean, purpose is everywhere right now. And that's kind of what you're saying is, you know, if you, you don't, don't feel pressure because your best friend is now gone to start a non-for-profit and you know what, you just kind of want to hang out and get a few massages. Do radical self-care, on, do RSC. Yeah, do radical <laughs> RSC, exactly. So, so, but let's talk about purpose. So in the upgrade stage, what does knowing purpose really mean and why is it important? So in that, in your book, if I can just read a little bit. Please from do. It, yes, please do. <laughs> okay. So this is the excerpt that I really liked. Being able to sit with uncertainty about how my life would unfold became crucial to the unfolding of new purpose. Facing the essential boredom of figuring out what you will do with the second half will be necessary, whether you worked inside or outside of the home. There are secrets in boredom. All kinds of things can come up. 
old memories, old triggers, long buried dreams, long buried regrets. It's like opening that neglected storage closet that's full of everything you threw in there that you didn't want to deal with at the time. You don't have to organize and clean that closet all at once. You may only need to look at one, to look once and do nothing, or you may take the take a little at a time, bite off what you can. So there's no need for heroics in the upgrade. And I think that's the radical self-care. The first step is to just be okay with who you are and be gentle on yourself. You know, I if I look at it for myself, that that was such a powerful statement because I hustled, hustled, hustled to, you know, keep food on the table, pay my mortgage, get kids to soccer, dance classes, music classes. And now I feel like I have to keep going that fast, but actually I don't have to be that fast. And as I take one step at a time in my what's next journey, I'm realizing that I'm the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. And so when you talk, when you think about purpose, what does it mean to you? And, and what do you want to say to the listeners about really sort of going after your purpose? And, you know, I just want to reemphasize, you know, chapter 12, that's the return of purpose. So, you know, Thank you. Thank you. I, and I have to remind myself too, because I ordered there. But yeah. it's a chapter 12, it's return of purpose. I wanted to talk, you know, uh, it's like, I, I just, you know, it's, it kind of returns in little trickles, or maybe it'll come and hit you all at once. You know, it's, it's like anything in your life, allowing it, what I need to say, for me, it's like allowing it to unfold. You know how there's opportunities that come your way and part of you kind of wants to take, part of you isn't so sure. And, you know, you're going to let some things go that you might have not let go at a younger age, or you might decide to actually think about something that's kind of new for you. So I just, I feel like being gentle with yourself, having some compassion, self-compassion, self-compassion is really important to this kind of finding your purpose because having self-compassion and being gentle with yourself, then things will pop up for you. And it's not, it's Absolutely. not, do you know, do you know what I mean? Lynette? Cause it's like, I think that it's not the time of life to, to, to beat yourself up in any way. It's really practicing self-compassion, self-compassion and whatever that means to you and however you can get yourself in a place where you do that, that from the, from that state of self-compassion, you will start to find little things will occur to you that, that touch your heart that, you know, for me, I know that um, part of my purpose, I didn't, I didn't ever think about when I was younger, but you know, every day I, I have a little purpose. Like I, I have a girlfriend who's going through a hard time right now because of, you know, um, you know, cause her son just got a very bad medical diagnosis at a young age with cancer and they're going through chemotherapy and all this kind of stuff now. And so kind of one of my, I, what I feel also good about is like, I can be there for her. She can text me if she wants to talk, she can, if she doesn't want, you know, it's like, I'm just like, um, you know, I just, those, those things that come up in your everyday life are also a part of your purpose to be kind and compassionate and supportive of the people in your life. You know, the people in your own household, you know, you know, dealing your best way possible with, with your, with your kids, your adult kids who may not always be the most polite to you or they might, you know, there's yeah. all kinds of ways in which they can really push our buttons, but there's a way in which we can realize that 
they're going through their own stresses and you know it's 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 a time to practice self-kindness and then kindness to others i particularly think those little events during our day also are part of our purpose so it's not like you have to go off and have a you know save the children in some other country type of purpose so i'm wanting not wanting women to beat themselves up with this you know and that's really interesting because one of the things that when I first started my Encore Life journey, which was about two years ago, I was I, I was bringing my old Lynette, the, the way I used to run my life, into this new, new. And one thing was I was always focused on the destination, never the path. And I remember sitting in my friend's kitchen at dinner, and he has this like really beautiful photograph that he took. Um, and it's this path that kind of goes like this. And then, you know, you see this beautiful landscape at the back. And I had this crazy aha. I went, oh, my God. I actually, for the first time ever, noticed the path, not, not the, what's at the end of that path. And I took that metaphor, if you will, into this next stage of my life, my upgrade stage. And it has been amazing because even though I know I want to do some really great things for myself, I don't really know all the answers either. And so it's been, you know, being okay with not doing anything today other than just chilling on the, on the couch or going for a walk or whatever. I don't have to always be like, go, 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 hit the destination, hit the, hit the destination. It's now been, okay, Lynette, learn to love yourself learn to love the people around you, learn to sort of be in the present and, and really sort of go, go after it. And, and through that, I'm really fulfilling my purpose, which is everything that I love to do. You know, I love helping other women get through their next stage, figuring out their what's next. And, and I, I, yeah, I, I love that. Um, radical self-care, radical self-care. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So, so the thing you're talking awesome. about too, that's so important that I emphasize a lot in the book too, is that, you know, we have also, many of us have been such goal oriented, achievement oriented. I mean, you know, look at me, I come from this like background of like, you know, going medical school, you know, doing all the things that I did. And it was, you know, such an achievement oriented, destination oriented life. And that is definitely not what I wanted in the second half. And, um, and it's almost like, you know, how in the book I talk about the tent of me. So it's like, I kind mm-hmm. of, I kind of yes. visualize our new, the new, the new way we're going to build us in the tent of me, like who you, who, who you lit in your tent flap and who you're going to ask to please wait outside for a while, you know, how you, yeah. you know, how you, how you do that, how you are, how you're sort of choosing. And, and it's not a, a like a, you know, a, a march or a, to a goal or an achievement oriented kind of thing, or I have to tick, tick off the right exams or take off the right, you know, um, it's prerequisites to doing something. Listen, the nice thing about the tent of me at this stage of life is you get to make it you, 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 you get to make it up. You Absolutely. get to make it up. <laughs> you know, and you, you talk about that tent and the pole and like filling that tent with too much that will then potentially bend the pole, you know, and, 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 and sort of disrupt that tent. And so I, I think, I'd like to leave that part for the for our our audience to get the book and dig a little bit deeper into that whole tent of me because it it's it's definitely something that needs uh, like some real reading and and then you can use that metaphor 
moving forward? Like, what am I, what is inside my tent? What do I want to keep outside of my tent? And that's just protecting energy and your boundaries and all of that. This is some really great information on that. I want to talk, I want to go back to something that you talked about where the expectations that are set on women in the second half of our life, specifically the role of caretaker. So how does this societal view impact us as women? And what is the number one fear of these women that are expected to become this caregiver, caretaker? You know, this is, this was, this was a really dicey, difficult part in, 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 in mm -hmm. trying to address that issue of that. I think, I think it may be 78%, maybe 80%, but it's a very big number percent of the unpaid caregiving, unpaid caretakers, you know, uh, in the second half of life are women. Uh -huh. And, um, okay, that's a fact. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're aging parent, if your mother, let's say, let's say your, your mother is needing, um, a lot of attention or a lot more care, or, you know, of course you're, you're going to be there and be able to, to you're going to want to help care for the people that you love. So, but I think, I think what I'm trying to say is, okay. You have to have a balance in your life too, if you're going to do thank that. You. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Self care, for radical self care. You can't care for somebody else unless you've got some some ballast in your boat and a way to do self care for yourself. Self compassion, self kindness, self love. You you need that, and it's just. I think that when I I remember I first hearing those words, I'm thinking, well, isn't that the same as being selfish? You know. But actually, mm -hmm. you know, the only thing is like, if you, you know, that word is, that word should be banished from the English language, really, when it comes to women, especially, Absolutely. don't you think? Because it's like, you know, we blame, I mean, how many times, it's, I mean, I don't know, but how many times, how many times has everyone probably heard someone call them selfish when they weren't get when somebody else wasn't getting what they wanted from her or whatever. It's like, it's exactly. how, and then, then exactly. we internalize it and we use it on ourselves. So I, I think we need yeah. to like, think about that word as kind of being, um, when we hear ourselves saying that to ourselves, we really need to sit down and have a good long think about that because it's usually not exactly. that we're being selfish and that, that you, the, the issue of self-care has to happen. You have to have enough, you have to have enough internal resources to turn around and help someone else and be compassionate to someone and tell if otherwise you're going to build the level of resentment and anger and hatred. Mm -hmm. I mean, resentment, anger, and hatred oh. is just like it all, it's, it comes like an avalanche. <laughs> you're, you're giggling, but, but it, it, it does. And, and because you know what, I, I, I think the reason why we don't do that is because we hold this level of guilt as women. We hold so much guilt if we're not doing this, if we're not doing that, because it's like you said, we've, we've been raised to be, in that role and that's just kind of who we are as women we just naturally take on that 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 role i mean i've seen some of my very close friends struggle with you know aging parents i've seen my brother you know taking care of grandkids like it's 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 crazy and i don't think that we can feel this level of guilt that we do when we want to just take a little break so you know, you talked a lot about hormone replacement therapy. So tell me about your experience in it. What are your thoughts on it? Do you support it? 
Um, I mean, obviously we don't have enough time on the podcast to talk. I mean, it's a whole podcast on its own, but I'm curious to, to hear a little bit about your history with it. And, I, and I'm willing to share some oh, of let's, mine as well. well let's, so. let's, let's talk basics here. Let's get down to the personal level. Okay. There's a lot of, I can tell you all Absolutely. the research that you want to know. And, and you know, there's cool, there's cool yeah. stuff I talk about in chapters three and four about this, you know, and every, every woman yeah. will find herself. I tell the stories about my own stories. I tell the stories about my, a lot of my patients, of course, changing the names. I'm not going to, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. friends and family. You know, so there's all, everybody has their own passage and it's not, you know, just like everybody when they started their period, we all had our own thing. You know, it's like, it was different for everybody. But it's just, yeah. on the other end, it's, it's, it's different as well. But the issue of, so remember what I said about at, in 1900, the average age of death for women was 49. Yes. Well, yes. that was also the, you know, menopause. I mean, they died. They didn't even go yeah. through the chain. Trans, they didn't there even was, know. There was no exactly. upgrade possible. They were, they died at the end of the transition, you know? So, um, it's and you know of course there was no hormone therapy i call it ht in the book some people call it hrt it's yeah. hormone therapy you could call yeah. it whatever you want but we're, we're all talking about the same thing so um you know that that big 20 years ago the women's health in, in 2002 that big women's health initiative this big study came out that they did of like thousands and thousands of american women tracked them and then you know, they had two groups. They compared the groups on placebo against the groups on, on estrogen and um, progesterone. And, you know, they learned a lot from that. But these, they, now that they've redone some of the analysis, they, they made some mistakes. The one group that it, it had a very small amount of increased breast cancer in one group, but the, those were more smokers and they were older. The average age in the study was 63 years old. So that's like the way past the transition. You know, so, Anyway, yeah. bottom line is now that the new feelings from the, the North American Menopause Society and the, you know, all, all of the all the people that study hormones, that if you take the hormones for five years, your your risk of breast cancer is like it's it's nil. It's not anything. So to get yourself through that. So let's just let's stay say for the first five years, you need to take what you need to take, unless you're in the category that has a genetic, right. you know, genetic breast cancer or whatever. You need to listen to your doctors. Yeah. You need to get your annual mammograms. You know, you need to do all Correct. that stuff. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not advocating anything for anybody that's, that's not individual. That's right. Okay. Individual, <laughs> individualized and individual consensus with, with go to find a doctor though, that the doctor will listen to you. That's a hard one. Cause you know, right. only 20%, only 20% of OBGYNs have even one class in hormone therapy in their whole residency. I know. They leave not knowing yeah. anything about that. I joke because And they bring you know, in the history that they bring in this research that you were just talking about, which is maybe it's 20 not years old and well it's not of, even exactly. it's not even valid anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah. one of the things for sure that we know, I mean we know the big, big time benefits of estrogen. Like if if you want strong bones 20 years after you go through the change, if you want strong bones and you're not gonna, you know, you're estrogen will give you give you strong bones okay it has some things that are mm -hmm. undeniably clearly in there you know also the people looking at the dementia issue now and women you know because of the alzheimer's work that people are doing that that um estrogen can be very helpful in prevention for those women like if if you're a woman who has family history and genetic history of alzheimer's and dementia you probably want to get on the stick and go talk to a doctor that can help you with hormone therapy and getting on some estrogen that you're gonna that you're gonna stay on. So anyway, those are those are the mm -hmm. big those are big caveats. And you have to find the big thing is, is like you got to find a doctor who will talk with you. And your your symptoms are if you're someone who's like like 
Some women go through hot flushes for 15 years. I know. I have a very good friend who's exactly in that situation. I think the number one thing that for me, which was an aha in, in reading that part in the book, was at the time that you start to, t- to do the HT. So you talk a lot about early, getting started on it early, because if, it, if you wait too late, then it could potentially become detrimental. Or yeah. So a lot impactful. of women in there, in the, what I call the, the mid to late transition is the time to start being on it. Because if you wait till you're, yeah. So just kind of when you've got like one or two periods a year, like in the, okay, your estrogen, gotcha. so your est- by the time, see, by the time you've finished your last menstrual period, 12 months later, your ovaries, you're not making any estrogen anymore. Your, your, your ovaries have retired, darling. Your ovaries have retired. They're not yeah. making any, yes. any, any hormones anymore. They put that, they've taken their package That's and they've right. left. They're out. They're out. They're done. Right. So, you know, so, so in a lot of women, if you have heavy bleeding and that kind of stuff in the early mid, like the transition period, um, most, most doctors will put you on the birth control pill, which has both estrogen and progesterone in it. So that's, that's a very helpful thing. Oh. And a lot of women then, a lot of them end up on the birth control pill when they're 50, 51, 52. And they're saying like, okay, well, when am I, am I through the, am I through the transition? Am I, am I into the menopause? Yet? Have I, you know, I'm still having regular periods cause I'm on the pill, but what ha- what's going on with my own ovaries. And then unfortunately the only thing you can do is to stop taking the pill and then feel miserable for six months to figure out where you are. Maybe you're not. Anyway, that's, you know, that's it's right. a really difficult transition. So a lot of doctors now are just taking those women at, in their early 50s and mid or late 50s and transitioning them on to hormone therapy. Um, and yeah. for me, my personal journey was like, I, I had a lot of irritability, a lot of moodiness. I'm like, you know, there's a, there's like a three- two to threefold increase in women with terrible depression and mood problems. And the, I would say that one of the major things women came to my clinic telling me is that they would say, they would say when, it, after we talked for an hour about all the other details, and I would say to them, you know, what are the top three things If their fairy godmother was there, the top three things that were like the symptoms they wanted to be taken away. Yeah. One of the top things I always surprised me one of the top one I want or, or things they wanted back again, they would say, Dr. Brizendine, I, you know, I really want my joy back again. The joy has gone out of my life. And if I, I weren't, if I didn't have kids or I didn't have a husband, whatever it is, you know, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I'll, and I've never felt yeah. like this in my life before. And that is a very scary, horrible, hopeless place to be. And so, um, you know, the, you know, being on HRT can for lots of those women within, a, within a week, start to dig them out of that hole click yep. that around yep. exactly and and so when we talked about agency before like this is your first step in in your like taking control of your life get get in get talking to your doctor and don't you know i i know a lot of a lot of my friends oh no i'm not on hrt you know ht of any kind and i'm like yeah but why not well you know and again i think they're referencing 20 year old research this is what there's not enough of that really great research i do follow a couple of really great doctors now on um instagram that are talking specifically about hormones and hrt and all that kind of stuff and just recently i actually just went on it and i mean i'm going to be 55 this year and i got a a bioidentical implant put in and 
I think I'm in week three, three now of having that put in and literally it's just changed. Like it's, a light, it's a light bulb. My, it's a light bulb, isn't it? I mean, it's just so, it's so quick. It's amazing. Amazing. And you know, you talk about those mood swings and things like I, the rage that would come inside of me before minutes before I would get a hot flash. Well, that was the stuff that was bothering me the most was how to control that. And, you know, the hot flash didn't last for very long, but yeah, I, I just, I feel wonderful. And that sort of brain fog is now kind of gone away a little bit, but you know, again, it's, it's talk to your doctor. So, okay. So I, I'm good. I'm bouncing all over the place here, but I do want to talk about Robert and Sylvia in your story. And this is one of the things that I've, hear from many women is that, well, I want to start pursuing my what's next, but my, how do I get my partner to support me in, do, in doing so? And you talk about Sylvia in your story where she, the lack of support from her spouse. Um, and yeah, like, why do you suppose that is that we want to do something, but we're fearful of what our friends and family will say about that. You know, I, I'm really glad that you brought Robert and Sylvia up. So, you know, it's a lot of people who are fans of the female brain book. They also loved Robert and Sylvia because it was, it, they were, okay, they were in chapter seven. They were in the yeah. final chapter of that book yeah. because it was just going, barely going into this, what this book is, that's the, that's the overlap chapter called, that one's called the mature yeah. female brain. So Robert and Sylvia were in that one too. And they, they're not their real names, but they are, they are real people. And so um, Girl, yeah. they, they ended up, uh, just to tell the story, you know, they ended up breaking up because she wanted to do, she had a lot of things that she wanted to do. He was a bit older than she was. And he basically just wanted everything to stay the same. And after the kids were out of the house and she, she, she wanted to go back and she, you know, she really wanted to do some more things with preschool aged kids and wanted to finish some parts of her education. And also she was really interested in, in oil painting. I and mean, she was really had a lot of creative things that she wanted to do. And he was just like an, a, a curmudgeon and just like, he was just, um, you know, um, Curmudgeon. He just got, he just, he was not, you know, he was just not with the program no matter what. And so she nope. left. Good for her. Like, honestly, that's the part that really got me was when I, and she left. I like, what? Because would you say that's, that's not the actually, norm. you know, would you say you know, People don't talk about it that much, Lynette, but actually it's happening a lot. The number of women that are right really? about the age, the end of their fifties, early in 60 up to like the number of divorces initiated by women is actually increasing incredibly. Now, okay. I have something to say here because in my Encore Life Academy group, I'm going to tell you that it is a very common thread the first thing that I get in the one-on-one -on -one coaching or even the group coaching is I want to leave my husband. I, you know, and the first thing I say is let's, how about we focus on you first and getting what you want. And then I bet you a lot of that will change. You may not want to leave the husband or, you know, because do you, oh you, yeah like, i know I that know, myself like i mean let me tell you i went through that i went through that every few years i mean i back you know and i did i did not <laughs> i, I I've, I've stayed with my husband but it was like you know there was a few times i just thought like i can't take it's like you know i just it 
you also, you get, you realize that nothing is going to change with them, but what you don't realize, just like you're saying when you're working with your clients and things, what we women don't realize at those moments where we're, I call it doing real estate therapy. You're out there looking for your apartment. You're looking for what you're looking for, where you're going to go next. Right. I mean, I used to, I used to do that like yeah. when, I, when I had just had it, I thought, like, okay, I'm moving out. I'm going to go find an apartment. So, you know, whatever I, I've, I've gone through that a few times. Yeah. My girlfriends all know my, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I have a lot of good girlfriends <laughs> who are real estate agents now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it's just it. How, I mean, it's so, but, but what, you know, what we don't realize is that when we start to get our, to know ourselves a little bit better and we take a pause and we look inside and we decide that we're going to just talk to ourselves a bit and talk to like, like, I guess, take your program or take other programs. We're going to find out, however we had to find out what it is, who we want to be next, who, who are, who we want to be right. because you know, it's not like, it's, it's not that the husband is really not fitting anymore or stopping you from doing anything. It's, it's, it, it could be, it could be, I'm saying like, I, you know, it could be, and it could be that there are a lot of reasons that it, it's women have just been waiting until the kids are out of the house and they are going to leave because they're maybe in an abusive relationship or they're in a, you know, I mean, well, it's, I mean, I Correct. think those women Correct. have, yes. you know, I, I support them. I support them. But I also, the, the other side Absolutely. of the, the equation is like, okay, um, it's like, if he just feels like a curmudgeon and he's not kind of with the program that you're going with, you got to find out what the program is you want for yourself first too. Because once you start looking inside first. and you consult, you consult yourself and you talk with others, you talk, you know, you, you, you find your own path a bit. You, then that's the time to decide um, in, with, you know, Absolutely. and it may be, it may be that you stay. It may be that you have a different arrangement. Like remember Sylvia and Robert, what ended up happening with them actually is that she moved out, whatever they had, they had started dating some other pe different people, whatever. And, and they went out to dinner one night, a, a, a few years afterwards, and they really liked each other again. And they really hadn't ever found, none of them found anybody that they really liked as much. And so actually they kept their two different places. And for a while, they kept they their team for a while. And then she eventually, oh, yeah, okay, like, then she yeah. eventually, they eventually moved back yeah. in. But, you know, it, it's, it, it, so I think it's different stages and different arrangements. So I think nothing is written stone for this stage of, of your second half of your life. You, you can do it. You can do it the way you, you can do it the way you, way you want to. And you take responsibility for it. I know for myself, um, becoming a mature person is like a mature person in a relationship. Um, it's a work in progress still for me. I mean, I, I have had to mature so much in my, my relationship, my primary relationship. I mean, I, you know, some kinds of things I still had that were quite like, you know, whatever they were, I said they were adolescent, but they were just not, they were just not, I was not putting my good big girl pants on enough sometimes, you know? I, and so I learned, yeah, you know, no, I just I had know. to look in the mirror and, yeah. and realize, okay, I'm just going to call bullshit on myself, right? I'm going to call bullshit. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's that <laughs> stage where you're really, you're, you're honesty, 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 and directness, directness, not only with others, but directness with yourself and focus, focus Self. on also on yourself. Absolutely. You know, and I think the whole part of our conversation today has really been about 
you know, not jumping, you know, both feet in to, okay, you know, now it's time to, you know, live my upgrade and I'm going to get my plan in place. I've got all these great ideas for myself. It's about taking it in flow and, and slowly. And then I think you can bring your partner and your friends and your family along with you. But knowing full well that you may have to leave some people behind and you're it not just because you're changing doesn't mean that everybody around you is going to change and if they're not accepting of it I think you know you've got to have the courage to you know the balls to stand up and say you know what this is what I want for my life and that's what I encourage in my program and I, I encourage a lot of prototyping first of all I you know let's get clear on where we're what what you want Let's get clear on how you're going to get it. And then let's start prototyping it and testing the waters, not just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to open this nonprofit or whatever. I, I'm all about just let's test, 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 job shadowing, whatever, you know, doing all of that. So then it doesn't feel like a radical change to, for yourself, but it also doesn't feel like a radical change for people around you. All right. I've got one final question for you. It's sex in the upgrade. So it was so funny when I was reading in your book, it was, I paraphrase here now, but you were like, oh, and I just about forgot to talk about sex in this book. <laughs> and I thought, exactly. But I was so engaged in the whole, all of the content. I thought, oh, and then I thought, oh, perfect. This is the cherry. So I thought I'm going to save the best for last sex in the upgrade. So it's, yeah, like it just, I talk to me about it. What? What's what's happening here at this stage? So you know? for every woman, it's a little different, right? Because but remember, your ovaries make ninety percent of your testosterone. The, the, the sex drive hormone in males and females is the same. Testosterone is the sex drive hormone in males and females. Men have ten times more of it than we do. That's why they they are all all yeah. stages of life. They want three times more than we do on average. I've had other couples that come in where it's the reverse. So you know whatever it's on the spectrum, yeah. but yeah. Um, and then as you go through the perimenopause, menopause, the ovaries retire. Your ovaries start making less testosterone. Your adrenal glands make a lot of your androgens that get converted into testosterone. So you still have some, you're not going to go to zero, but a lot of women, I know a lot of women all in the, in the transition, in the upgrade will also, they'll say privately to me in the office, go like, Oh, I just feel like telling him, just get that thing away from me. <laughs> but it doesn't have no, to be that oh way, God, no, you no. know? And, and so I think, you know, is this a time where you bring a sex therapist into your relationship? Well, you know, there's all kinds of, there's lots of things on the Chinese menu for the two, what you can do, right? So one of the things I yeah. do is I, um, it's some, I measure women's testosterone levels and find out if they're, you know, they're in the basement. For mine personally, mine went into the basement. So I actually, I, you know, I used a lot of the, I, I learned a lot of what I learned on myself and of course also on my patients. And there's, you know, there's, uh, in Europe and other countries, they have, products for women that are prescription products for testosterone that are available that our country, the FD, it's never been approved here for women. So it's not mm -hmm. that you can't use it because you can use it. You can get it at compounding pharmacies or you can use a, a smaller, having them make a smaller dose of the male, the male variety of the gels and things that we have here. So um, yes, you can use the testosterone. And I'll, I'll tell you one story about one school teacher I had. She was in her uh, early fifties and uh, the pharmacist accidentally got her testosterone compounding thing. Um, instead of 0.1, they made it 1.0, which was 10 times more than it should be, you know? And she <laughs> called me, Lynette, she called me about a couple of weeks into that. She says, Dr. Brisson, Dr. Brisson, you know, it's like, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but you know, um, 
you know, I, I, during, in between classes, she's a teacher. She says, in between classes, I'm having to go into the bathroom and um, um, relieve myself. She says, now I know what it feels like to be a 19-year-old boy. <laughs> to be a guy. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. That so, is so funny. So it will, so I love it. Taking a lot of testosterone, ladies, will, like, put you over the top. And a lot of women don't like it so, so much anyway because you'll have an orgasm really fast. So it's like you go from zero to 60, right. you kind of go like, oh, that was nice. But, like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> 17 year old here we go. <laughs> so um, it's a, it's a, you know, and there's all kinds of things like sex toys, sex therapy, doing, you know, trying different things. And it's like, it's kind of, um, if you can evolve with your partner at this stage, you know, cause like just, just, I think if you have, if things aren't going well for a long time, it's, you kind of probably need a, a, a you probably need a jump start, shall we say, maybe some hormones and going to the yeah. sex therapist. Um, and remember sure. guys feel like, I mean, you know, if you have a mosquito bite, you scratch it because it itches, right? But that same spot on your skin, mm -hmm. you're not going to, it's like, if it's, there's nothing there to do, you're not going to do anything with it. It just doesn't itch. It doesn't itch. It's like with a hormone, no hormone for sex drive. And you don't have any interest in sex drive. You may be able to get your engine started once he kind of gets you started or whatever. And that's good. So but it, you got to take it as it comes and just not, don't beat up on yourself. If you're a woman that has absolutely no sex drive exactly. at all, but your husband is like, he is going to feel, you know, not loved men. If you, men aren't, you know, men, men really feel that if they're not having sex, that they're not being loved. And it's, it's weird for women because once you've lost that, if you don't have the interest where you're initiating or you're not going to jump on his bones, like you did maybe when you're 25, you know, that's a whole different story. So it's evolving into, to who you are, what is going to be like with your individual partner? You may want some hormone. Um, and if you're going to have really dry vagina because you don't have any estrogen, that's another time to take estrogen or take the estrogen plungers, you know, the creams, the vaginal creams. They really do work wonders. You know, if, if you had a real, if you have a dry vagina and you start putting a penis in it and it starts ripping you and you feel like you have a paper cut all up your vagina, which is what it feels like if you've got dry vagina, your brain is going to tell you, get that thing away from me. It's like, uh, you're not, you're not going to, sex is not going to be something you're going to be interested in. So exactly. Um, no, I really, I love that level of detail that you got into there because there's so much now just around vaginal rejuvenation processes that, that can help all of that as well. One thing that you wrote in your book that I think, you know, if we think about the male brain for a moment, you know, you say he will be a hundred percent certain that your lack of desire means you are having sex with somebody else because this is his hormonal brain reality. If he loves you, he wants to have sex with you. If he doesn't want to have sex with you, he's probably getting it somewhere else. Unless, unless of course there's a health issue that's preventing uh, his erection, but no matter what you tell him about your hormones, he won't believe the lights are off because the power is out. And that I, I yeah, I mean, if everything you just said there is sort of a balance between, you know, HT, the, your mindset, the way that you approach, even just so, some of the symptoms that you might be having if you choose not to do the HT. And really, it's just sort of, I always think everything's about a system. Not one thing is going to solve a problem. It's a, a, a multiple of many things uh, that you turn into a system that help you with whether it's depression your sex drive your your aging what, whatever the case may be and i think you know embracing this new language that you're introducing in your book the upgrade is 
absolutely empowering and it just brings everything down to a level that you can understand. So I just want to thank you so much for writing this book. I get mm -hmm. chills thinking about how lucky I am to have been introduced to you and to be able to have this opportunity to, to interview you. So thank you so much. I know that we went way over time on the podcast, but I think you have a really great message. And I'm so happy. That thank you, you for having me, Lynette. And I only wish the best for, to all of your listeners. And just like my message to them is stick with it because you, you will upgrade. That's the message of the book. You will, and you can upgrade. It'll, it will happen. Just hang in there with it. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.